Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In this episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Mega Gupta. Mega is the founder of Prep with Mega. Mega is a GMAT trainer who's mentored over 5,000 plus students for GMAT as well as CAT across four continents so far. She has consistently produced top scorers in the 700 to 750 range and admits to top MBA and MBM programs, including Harvard, Wharton, Stanford, Oxford, London Business School, ISB, and IAMs. Hi, Mega. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time out uh, to join me on this show. Um, Mega, uh, my first question to you is, can you walk us through your journey so far? Uh, the reason I ask this question is whatever we are at this point is because of all the little things that we might have intentionally or unintentionally done in the past 15, 20 years. So if you can go back as much as you want, like even from childhood, if you want to like recollect your story and then, you know, kind of walk us through your journey up until here, that'll be great. So... I had a comfortable childhood. I was a student who was always put in academics. So my parents were a little relieved on that side that at least she studies and, you know, she's among the toppers of the class and all. Right. So academically, I have always been good. Then after school, then I pursued my com uh, computer science honors from Delhi University. And after that, I went abroad for a master's in finance degree from Scotland. So after that, I came back to India and I was like working with my father. So we have a family business of foreign consultancy, in which we take care of the documentations and licensing and stuff. But uh, even though that is my father's work and everything was treated like a princess at the office and all, but somewhere that part was missing in me to do something. I was not very creatively satisfied there. So I just happened to chance upon an opportunity to teach at this institute. And that was again, I think, for PPA at that time. So uh, it so happened that my sister, younger sister, was just going for an internship. She was already placed in EVA at that time. And she had about one, one and a half month free. So she she just got a chance that, okay, I'll get an internship at this uh, company. One, one and a half month, I have to be there is something which is very near to my place where I go. So I just went with her for her interview that time. And then she told me that, you know what, they have a opening for a verbal faculty also. And you just need to work these, these times and then you can go to Papa's office. So I was like, who's going to teach? Like, I am a finance graduate. I was not looking at teaching as an option that way. Right. So I was I was like, no, no, I'm not teaching. Are you mad? Uh, do you see myself as a teacher? It just requires so much patience. Do you think I have that much patience? But I don't know what stuck with my mother. She just kept, she was so persistent that you go. You go, you go, you try, you try, you just give your interview. And I did not prepare for anything because I was like, I'm not interested anyway. I just come because my mom has forced me. And I just went with zero expectation. I did ask me some things that time, you know, can you solve this question? How will you explain and everything? And I don't know what stuck with them. I got finalized within 10 minutes. Okay. They gave me the offer letter. And I was like, okay. And my mom was like, you go. You also go with your sister for one, one and a half. You don't like it, you leave. It doesn't matter. Every experience in life counts. So I was like, okay, chalo, you know, we'll both the sisters will go together. And after when we'll, we'll do our work, we'll come back, we'll chill and everything. But it just so happened that when I went to the classroom for the first time, 
there was a bunch of students and they were like so enthusiastically waiting for me to come and teach them something and you know enable them to crack their entrance exam they were so passionate and hopeful to go to such prestigious institutes that it just reminded me of me when i was in school right like education is something which i really am very passionate about right so i still remember the very first class i took and it was i think a total of 8 to 9 students at that in that institute at that point and i just loved those students and those were i think 11th or 12th class students they were preparing for their bb entrance exam right and i don't know what changed in me and after that then i got finalized and then i got another class and another class and another class and i just kind of felt a sense of responsibility that even if i think in my head that i'm just going to do for one or two months i'll do it very very nicely because these students are perhaps pinning their hopes on me right then they are paying the fees and coming to me as a teacher to teach them something right imagine if i were in their position and i was paying the fees and my entrance was at stake right right so that sense of responsibility just came in me the moment i entered that class and i used to be very well prepared for everything left right and center anything the students wants even beyond the classroom that doubts the personal anxieties sometimes they used to come and share with me ma'am i don't know i've done everything i'm just feeling nervous what to do you know so the more i interacted with the students the more enjoyable that i just became for me so with something which started just as a hobby maybe just for pocket money or something it just became something which made me genuinely happy so then after two months and i started teaching for cat then i started teaching for gmat so in my span of eight eight and a half years of teaching i've taught for cat gmat i've taught for gre asset and everything but all exams being uh, we mentioned gmat remains my love because gmat is something which is a highly logical exam so then when i st- thought of starting my own there was no question in my head that i want to do private tutoring for gmat of all the exams that i have taught for. So I've taught for all these exams extensively, but GMAT remains my love. So yeah, so over the then it just started. The journey just started. Eight and a eight eight and a half years just flew. I just got another class and another batch and bigger class because you know a bigger number of students. And then I'm doing something. Then I'm working on the content. Then I'm working on the online test. Then I'm doing so much work. And I started getting so many offers from other institutes also to join theirs. and i got increments i got promotions i got stuff like that that i think it was just kind of meant to be for me but the thing is that i put in a lot of effort hard work at my personal end i never relied oh okay people now come with mega gupta's name so it's okay why should i improve i still feel that i'm a student of gmat or i'm a student of the of any exam that i'm teaching right even though my students i have sent my students to harvard wharton iims but i still feel that i'm still learning as a teacher and my students are teaching me the interactions with the students the student tells me ma'am i'm facing difficulty like this that keeps me thinking that i thought that this method is like this but there could be somebody thinking like this also right so how do you help that student out then more questions more questions more questions it gives you a sense of what the students personal anxieties could also be regarding the exam right like students want to study but they don't have time how do you help them right right some students might have a fees issue how do you help them right so all of those things then started it just started me th- uh, to think that one aspect is the content aspect of teaching right. but i think if you want to be a good mentor 
it, it goes way beyond the content that you teach. Right? And when you have that connect with your students, I think if you do good work, the work comes to you. Great. Mega, uh, one of the things that you spoke about, I just want to, uh, you know, learn more about this. You said of all the exams, GMAT remains your most favorite one. And uh, you've yeah. taught ACT, uh, CAT and all, but you teach only verbal in all these tests. Is that right? Yes. Uh, okay, got it. So uh, in your eyes, right, from your perspective, what uh, are these, how do these exams vary? And why do you say that GMAT is the most logical of all of them? See, first of all, I started teaching only the verbal aspect of it. And then I just got so many classes just to teach verbal that even though I'm a finance graduate and I feel my quants is perhaps stronger than my verbal. But I ended up teaching verbal so much that that became my forte. Right. And like I got popular for that also. Right. So even though I, I think my maths is much stronger, but verbal is what I teach and I get inquiries for. Right. Then coming to your question, how these exams are different. See, if you primarily talk about CAT and GMAT, Right now, the post entrance exam for, uh, for postgraduate exams in India, which is CAT, and for India and abroad is GMAT. They are very fundamentally different. Okay. Because the format is very different. For example, in CAT, you can skip questions. Mm. It's not compulsory to mark everything. Okay. In fact, it is usually suggested that there are some questions which are perhaps too tricky and the student should not attempt them because of negative marking. Mm. But in GMAT, it is a compulsory attempt, at least of the format that we are currently at. Right. Like you have to attempt every question. Okay. So CAT is saying that I'm giving you these many questions. You decide what you want to do. GMAT is saying this is the data, this is the goal, and you have to do something and you only have these five choices. What are you going to do? Hmm. So do you see, apart from the number of questions, the timing and all those things, those are all mundane details. But fundamentally, what the examiner is checking in the students is very different. Right. Right. So for CAT, I feel the syllabus is still very wide in the sense that they get mostly reading comprehensions. Mm -hmm. If a student is good at that topic, because that's like 80-85% of it. Right. If a student is good at that, then the student has a very, that the student has an advantage over all the other students who might be good in other parts of business or other parts of communication or English. But if this part is not correct, and that's 80-85%, the student is, is in problem. But GMAT has three things which are more or less equal in weightage. Critical mm. reasoning, grammar, grammar as in sentence correction, right. and then you have reading comprehension. So it's a little bit more balanced at that point. Right? So what the exam is very different, you know, used in a very different way and used to check different things. I have also seen cases where students excel at that. Right. 99% or something. But they are miserable at GMAT. Mm. And I've also seen the same, some students who are very good in GMAT, 740, 750. But when they are taken the CAT, they were like 80 percentile, 75 percentile types. Wow. Okay. So the skill set is very different. Of course, we've had students who are great at both, right? But it is not compulsory that if you're great at one, you'll be great at the other. Got it. So the coaching for that mentality required for that is totally different. Got it. Right? Now, if I compare GMAT and GRE, Again, the mentality required is very different. Right. Because in GMAT, the idea is I've given you this data. This is what you need to do. And you have to do something. And these are the five options. Right. In GRE, it is more vocabulary based rather than thinking based. You have to think. You have to think, no doubt. It is logical, no doubt. But yet, 
truth is that GRE verbal is still very heavily focused on vocabulary and memorizing. Right. Whereas vocabulary doesn't have a very big role in GMAT. Right. So again, do you see GRE is used by business schools, but it is mostly used for masters in science. science right. 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 In science, you need to have some mental capacity for memorization and for doing all of this work. But in management, you should be quick at making decisions and analyzing data. Right. So again, one student can be great at both. A student can be great at GMAT, not at GRE. Is great at GRE, not at GMAT. But again, the schools and the programs that they have to apply for, because they need different skills from you. GMAT, GRE, CAT, everything is designed very differently. And therefore, the coaching for them will also vary. Got it, Mega. Mega, if you have to, you know, for people who are taking, who are looking at both CAT and GMAT, in your experience, if mm-hmm. you've noticed one skill set which makes you great for GMAT and one skill set that sets you apart for CAT, you know, what is, can you like uh, nail it down to just one or two skill sets? I think one very important skill that is, makes a student a winner is focus. Uh, for both the CAT and focus GMAT? Focus on CAT. Yes. Okay. I don't, I'm not saying focus on the question, but focus on the end goal. Okay, right. The student who has the focus that I have to get a 99 point this thing in CAT. Hmm. I have to get it and I'm willing to make the sacrifices and the effort for it. Right. This student will excel CAT. And same format goes, same mentality goes for GMAT or for any other exam I feel. Got it. If a student is dedicated and clear in his heart about what to do, Okay. One thing is, let's say you have, you know, uh, students come to me and said, ma'am, my elder brother went to ISB and he got a GMAT 740. Now, if I don't get a 700 plus and don't go to ISB or something similar, I'm going to be like the bad kid of the house. So I have to do it because my brother has just steal it. You know, you have that sibling pressure sometimes and stuff like that. So student has this goal set by other people for him. Right. Right. But when that goal comes from your heart, that will make you a winner, whether it is CAT or GMAT or any direction. Okay. So I feel the first thing is focus and clarity about what you want to do and why you want to do. Right. Right. Second thing, of course, you might have the clarity, you might have the want, but you should be willing to put the effort also. Right. Right. If the if you are if you took a class and that requires let's say one hour of homework, make no excuses in the next class why you haven't done the homework. Right. Again, I'm not saying that the record of doing the homework will be 100%. Sometimes somebody could have a, you know, genuine emergency also. I could also have a genuine emergency as a trainer, right? Right. But that being said, the effort or the intention and determination should be 100% to complete the work. Right. So if a student is attending the classes, 90-95% as scheduled, student is doing the required work, student is doing the doubt sessions regularly, I think that this, this student will do something great in his life, whether it is clearing CAD with a good percentile or GMAT or going to Harvard or anything he wants to do. So focus and actually putting the effort to do the homework and classwork. Got it. Uh, Mega, uh, as a trainer, as a GMAT trainer, do you think it is important that the trainer needs to, you know, needs to have taken the GMAT herself or himself in the past? Or do you think it's just the mastery over the topics that you teach is what matters? Because exam formats, I believe, you know, you can always kind of get accustomed to it, right? What is your view on this? See, if the trainer has taken the test himself or herself, that definitely adds to their knowledge. Okay. 
because they know what is time pressure they know actually if you're sitting with those anxiety anxieties and that you know it's the d day and you have to score and you have to do these questions so that's a very different game for just being able to solve the questions on paper or on screen in the class right, right? but i also feel it is not compulsory right because i've seen lot of trainers who are let's, let's say if you're considering cat then they are 99 percentileers or the gmat 750 7770 something these trainers who are even got 790 800 on their gmat right. but just get being able to get a gmat 770 let's say is not necessarily going to make you a good teacher right because what makes you a good teacher is can you teach somebody else to think like how the, he or she should be thinking to solve that question right so the teaching or the training skill is very different from just being able to do the work myself right right that is the fundamental thing and that i think the student should take as a criteria to kind of look for a good trainer the trainer's credentials definitely matter if this let's say if the trainer has gmat 770 of course then that means the trainer is very well versed with the exam but can the trainer train you to get a gmat 770 you should ask that Right. So it is the trainer's qualities. But yes, I feel that even if the trainer may not have taken the exam, but they should be very well prepared. They must have taken enough number of mock tests and time settings to know whether what they are teaching is working or not. And if of course possible, then they can take the exam. It will definitely add value to their experience. But I feel it is not compulsory because I've seen both the cases. I've seen trainers who have not taken the exam, but they can train you for the exam. And I've seen trainers who have taken the exam. as students enroll on the basis of the credentials but actually when it comes to getting trained by them they have 100 problems after 3 months that the doubts were not catered to the teacher did not teach them properly or it was very complicated initially as indian students we like the complicated stuff right right a student feels oh i'm doing something difficult that means i'm doing something worthwhile but i feel a good trainer is who can simplify the difficult for you got it who can tell you all of this is superfluous you just take these four points and study but these four points you master in 50 questions these are the things you are going to come in your exam if somebody can condense four hours of coursework in two two and a half works and yet get you the same result i think that should be the criteria of, of a good trainer got it mega now from you know for the people who are you know listening or watching this who are trainers and you know who are really good in quant or verbal but who have themselves haven't taken any of these exams now it's obviously a lucrative thing for anybody to be able to train gmat and all these test prep things right so if you have to you know show them a a map a route where they can kind of uh whatever they are teaching now from a quants verbal point of view if they want to you know get into teaching gmat or any of these test prep you know what are the three steps or five steps that they need to take for them to be able to reach that see i think the first thing is to be able to see that if i know the content am i able to train students or not first of all it should be that right okay not that i am getting i have a job which is paying me xyz salary now i want to increase my salary the coaching institute is not giving me that much so let me start my own thing mm. i think if somebody has an i see so many trainers having this mentality to go private right that they feel that they want to make more than this okay. now the company is not going to pay more than this because they also have a certain budget 
So let me start and let me take individual fields. But I don't think that should be the criteria. I think the criteria should be that do you feel that you are not experienced enough to help more students? And how can you perhaps add a little bit more value to, to that training? Mega, can I uh, interrupt you okay. here? I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. If they are teaching in an academy that's, you know, good, mm. you know, who are teaching GMAT and all these test preps, mm. why do you think that mm. uh, they may not be able to do the same on their own? I mean, I'm trying to understand what is it? No, they definitely can do, they can definitely do great on their own also. I'm starting on my own. I think I'm doing a little okay right now. I'm hoping I'll do better right. and keep on doing better in future. Right. But the idea is just this, that I have, you have to be a good teacher, you have to be a good trainer, that is fundamental. Right. But secondly, you also be a, need to be able to take risk in life. Right, right. Got it. Right, because right now, let's say when I was working with coaching institutes, there was a lot of work that I used to do. My calendar was bad because so many students used to come to my batches. So at batches after batches and I was making, making decent amount of money, I would say. Right. But for me to have that, for me to leave that safety net, that okay, from next month, maybe I will not have this fixed sum. And maybe I'll have to start now from zero and see where I go. So first thing is that you must have that risk-taking capacity. And I feel a very important factor for any entrepreneur for that matter is to have an exit plan also. This is my thinking. Right. right? Whoever starts a business, they definitely have some flowchart, they have some thought process, there's some things, some goals. Right. But one should also be prepared that what if I'm not able to meet this? What, how much timeline can I give to myself? How much safety net in terms of even, let's say, for finances? Because if I'm today, if I'm advertising, let's say, if I'm setting up my website or I'm doing anything, I'm paying, I'm, let's say, taking Zoom premium account. That is also a paid account. That's an expense for me. Right. The recordings and everything. That is my business expense. Can I bear those expenses? How long can I bear those expenses without feeling the pinch, without my family feeling the pinch of it? Right. If they start feeling the pinch of it, how long can they feel the pinch? Right. So I think a very clear assessment, I feel frankly, should also be the financial aspect of it. Right. Right. And then it should be a very calculated risk. Okay. I am not a person who would risk everything. Right. But at least I have my certain risk-taking capacity that, okay, this much willingness I have that if I don't make something for these many, I think I should be okay. Right. Because that, you know, that gives me a lot of scope to, you know, to do something new. It just makes me a little braver in what, in my endeavor, I feel. Right. Rather than I feel the stress also that I have to do this much revenue, I have to have these many endowments every month. Because I think if I have the stress of revenue and fees and all of those things, I think it will somewhere divert me from my core work, which should be teaching properly. So instead of working on my content, working on my teaching, updating myself for what are the latest trends going on in going on in the domain, what are the latest mock papers, what are the changes in GMAT and everything, my focus and my stress will also always be okay, is the money coming in or not? How many students have enrolled or not? My focus, apart from my teaching or content, will go towards the marketing. So I think if you have a calculated financial risk, I think it will just give you more, you know, room to reinvent and do something which you really want to do. And then test it out bravely. Let me see if it works or not. Right. Right. So I think that risk taking capacity, financial capacity, how much you can afford to take the risk for. Right. And 
I think somewhere a very a clarity calling from your heart. Mm. I feel if we have the calling from our heart, also even if times are a little tough. Let's say, for example, you know any business for that matter. For some months, you're not getting anything. There's no breakthrough. There's no revenue coming in. Okay, you let's say taken not uh, you know not for me, but let's say I am. I actually come from business family. Right. So you know, so I know all uh, people around me are all businessmen or businesswomen. So that's why I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship also. So I know how frustrating it can get if for a long time you don't have the business, the business not going as you expected. Right. But then to again have that determination to stay put and believe in your idea that it will work. Let me try for one more month and see how it goes. And in that one month that you're giving yourself, give it your all. Give it your all so that let's say tomorrow if you have to start shop. You don't feel any regret that okay, there, there was this one thing which I did not try. Maybe if right. I would have tried it, it would have worked. So try everything, whatever you want to do, right? And then also have this thing that if it is not working, I have a big heart to maybe shut shop and then maybe start something new because I do have the skill. Right. I do have the skill, but maybe this idea is not correct and I can do something else. Got it. Right. So not getting very, 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 very attached to something. Believe in yourself that you are a business person. One business idea might be failing, let's say, but doesn't make you a failed business fan or business woman. You can always do something new and maybe could make that small idea a bigger idea. Right. Great. And Mega, uh, for those people, okay, uh, do academies, right, who train people for the tests like GMAT, GRE, do they hire trainers who themselves haven't taken up these exams? See, it really depends. Okay. Because let's say Prep with Mega, we are in we are collaborating with a lot of trainers these okay. days. So we are planning to expand in a big way in the next coming months. Okay. So and for me, the trainer has taken the test or not is not a criteria, but the criteria is definitely this that can this trainer solve all the mock tests properly? Does the trainer have that attitude of genuinely helping out the students? Right. Can he actually deliver? And can he make my student, because the student is coming to me with my reputation, can this, he make my student excel and perhaps get the targeted score? Right. So for me, that is the criteria, not just that it is the teacher is a 750 you know, scorer. Got it. He could be a 750. I don't care even if it's an 800 scorer. As long as he can't deliver to my student, I am not interested in hiring. Got it. Right. So I'm very clear about it. Can you help my student? That is my only criteria. Got it. And uh, according to the industry standards, what's the range of salaries uh, these GMAT or verbal trainers can expect? Lowest and highest? Actually, you know, it will sound like a very diplomatic answer right now. But uh, I really feel it really depends on the institute that you're working for. It also depends on the it depends on the institute. It depends on your experience. It also depends on that if you're good, how much business are you able to bring in by your word of Oh, a trainer is also expected to bring in yes. business. Kind of. Wow. Yes. Okay. An academy expects that from the okay. trainers as well. Okay. It's it's you know it's kind of taken. You know, even I didn't know that they. You know, but when you like, I have worked with, I have worked with a lot of companies, and you know, personally also, then you come to know about a lot of trainers in other companies. You just need to kind of develop a network in this domain. So it is not their job description, but what happens is if you are doing good work, 
somebody will say okay go to this yeah, center yeah, or yeah, you know yeah. this trainer is good Got it. so you are bringing business for them right, also right interesting right so it's not expected but it kind of just happens as a ripple effect right and then if that is coming in if they are able to get more revenue because of your name then certainly you are in a position for a better ask right and then it also depends on whether the coaching institute is able to afford your ask or not got it so uh, just to just to put numbers for the sake of the listeners you know if they're wondering so let's say starting is okay. somewhat somewhere around 50000 and on the highest range of course depending on the business that they get they can also get exorbitant amount but that will not be a common thing right there'll be an outlier yeah. sort of a thing but as an yeah. aspiration can someone yeah. someone aspire for say a start of uh, the lowest being 50k and the highest being 1 and 1/2 lakhs per month is yeah, yeah. is that the industry standards we can say okay yeah. okay easily more than that maybe great and uh, how many hours of work uh, goes in on an everyday basis and weekends i believe is important uh, for them to work is that correct mega no that is true that is uh, one disadvantage of our uh, domain that most of the students want to take classes on the weekend right. because on the weekdays they are you know occupied with the college work or their office work or something so yes if you want to make that kind of uh, money every month so you have to take classes and then you will have to have at least i won't say like the weekend will be all packed because it depends on the kind of work you're doing you can have classes all day long if you are willing to do that but at least some portion of the weekend needs to be there needs to be reserved for your classes as well at least some trainers what they do they just choose a day on saturday sunday and they work on saturday but they take an off on sunday right some trainers do half half days on both days so let's say they on saturday they just work till 12 or 1 Sunday evening, they didn't do the whole thing. Well, you know, it just depends on trainer to trainer. And if a trainer is comfortably placed to, let's say, they have uh, the entire Saturday and Sunday devoted to gym, then that's great. So it really depends on trainer to trainer. But yes, if they have to make that kind of uh, this thing, I would I would say the trainers should be mentally prepared to do some work at least on weekends. Or if they can pull off that number during the weekdays, that's great. But that's a little idealistic. Got it. Got it. Because your students are not going to be available during the weekends because either they are working or they are studying. Even during the correct, even in those weekdays also they want let's say a very early morning slot or let's say after their office work. So you will have students who can connect with you in afternoons, but and they're happy to connect in afternoon because for them let's say they have taken an off from their jobs for one one and a half months exclusively to focus on GMAT and their admissions. Wow. Okay. So those students actually want to connect in the noon or afternoon time. because let's say now the student will study all at study all night then maybe wake up a little late and then they have their breakfast and then they start with the next class so you have to be a little open in terms of your working times it's teaching for entrance exams is not a 9 to 5 job let's be very clear with that got it mega now going back to your uh, journey you know you've had a solid 8 year experience working for other academies and then you know you mm-hmm. made a shift So, uh, why did it take eight years for you to start your own uh, training business? Actually, that's a very, very good question. That's a very interesting question, also. Actually, my parents have been and my siblings have been pushing me to, you know, now start start doing your private class. You get so many students from word of mouth only and everything. But I don't know. Somewhere, I kind of just felt that I still needed to. 
get more experience, get more exposure. I don't know why. Maybe I think I'm, I just settled in my comfort zone, I felt. But, you know, I still remember to this day then you know, I was just contemplating that, you know, uh, I want to kind of make a shift. But then all the things I was just telling you about earlier, but, you know, if I don't have a salary coming in now, so what will it be? And I, I, was, I used to make, like, okay, good amount of money. So I was like that, you know, what, what am I, you know, will it be fine for us and everything? I still remember to this day what my husband said. He said, Mega, if not today, then when? And I think that just kind of just, you know, hit me so hard. I just, that statement kept reverberating in my mind for a couple of days. And I was like, you know what, let's do this this time. And then I officially resigned and I started and I was like, okay, we'll see where it goes. If it doesn't go anywhere, we'll see. I was, exactly what I was telling you, I applied it to myself also. That I feel that even if I don't do this, I think I can do something in my life. So it's okay. Even if it will not work, I'm still okay with it. Because the eight years journey was so, it is a very cherishing experience for me. And I have now, I could have done many other things. Right. I had many other parallel business ideas going, but still teaching I, teaching and education is something which is so close to my heart because it has just helped me immensely as a person also. That when out of all these things, I had a choice of doing something, I had no doubt in my mind that whether I make more money or less money, but this is the all that makes me happy. If, if I have to do something, I want to do in this domain. Great. So it's not that, you know, you weren't, um, yeah, you were ready and you were not ready, but you were ready uh, totally from a subject matter point of view. You had no problems, not that you needed more experience. It's just that your mindset had to kind of get ready for going from a comfort zone to that uncertainty zone. To a little, a little risky place. And, you know, again, why that happened? Because for me, the more I was working, I was getting recognized. I was doing more work. I was enjoying my work also. But then, you know, on the other side, the kind of money I was making also kept on increasing. With every increment, with every project, the number of batches I took. And I started doing more batches. So that, you know, the safety net that I had to leave, that became more and more comfortable. Yes, yes, you know? yes. So that was the thing with me. I was like, I'll be sure we can let go of this since I start from zero one more time. So yeah, initially, you know, it was a lot of uh, brainstorming at my end. But then I think I finally took the call because I think it was less for financial reasons or anything. But I think I just felt that now whatever I wanted to learn, not just in subject, but in terms of, you know, everything related to this. I just kind of felt that I was at a point where I have, I know what I want to know to move ahead. Right. I just had that deep sense in me. I think earlier I still kind of, I for subject, it was fine. Subject matter skills, it, I am still a student of GMAT, I say. Even after it is, I think even after 80 years, I will still be the student of the exam I'll be coaching for. Any trainer who thinks, oh, I'm the master, no, I know everything. I don't think that's the correct attitude. We should always keep on improving and keep updating ourselves. That's very, very crucial. But I think that you, I just felt that I needed to learn more. And once I felt in my heart that I have learned enough. Right. Then after that, it was just like a financial decision for me. And after when, once I felt that I can actually go ahead with it. And when my, when my husband said, if not now, then when? Right. I was actually at that juncture in my life where if I would not have, not have done it right now, I think for some years to come, I would not have been able to do it either. Right, right. So for me to have that sense that, you know, something which I have kind of a dream for is going to get delayed by three, four, five years, maybe. 
Right. So I was like, I don't think that I will be able to stay in the same zone for the next five years. So might as well let's try this and let let's see where it goes. Got it, Mega. Very relatable. Um, it's a very common feeling among all the people that have to leave a high paying job and then you know kind of start from scratch. So have you reached a point where you are back to making the kind of money that you were making uh, at your peak? Almost. Touch wood. Great. <laughs> Almost. So, yeah. But yes, that being said, like, you know, as I said, money is definitely a major decision-making factor. Yeah. Of course, we all need to have, we all have certain bills and expenses to pay for at the end of the month. Right. But then, of course, I feel that if you are skilled and if you, there's something which is a passion for you. Okay. Let's say, for example, some for somebody, technology is something that really excites them. This person will find something in technology to work with and make the money they want. Right, right. Provided they are passionate and skilled both. I could be passionate for football, but when I come to playing it, I'm miserable. Then of course, I can't, I can't be saying that I'm very passionate for football, so I'll make this kind of money. Of course, you have to have those core skills also. But yes, I think at this point, I think I have been able to reach somewhat, not that exact, but somewhat that level. And I think in the short time that I've been working, if I've been able to reach that somewhat, I think that's great. It's just a matter of time where you're going to probably double yourself or something like that, I think. But uh, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. But then, yes. Yeah. The, the, the thing about doing something on your own is definitely, you know, the there's no limit, right? Even when you are, uh, you know, when you're the highest paid trainer also, there will be a certain limit, right? I mean, you cannot, no matter what, you cannot cross a certain boundary or a certain barrier. But I think when you do things on your own, I don't think there is any limit. Um, you can probably, you know, reach 10x, 20x and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, but See, for that, for that, that you can't cross a stage in your job, I don't blame the companies also because they also have a certain budget. Yeah, definitely. And they can't be giving a certain amount of money to one person and then set the expectation for everybody yeah. also. Yeah. So, you know, they have their own setup. Let's say today, even Rep with Mega, let's say tomorrow as an organization, even if I have to hand out something, there will be a limit to the kind yeah. of uh, money that I can also give as salaries to people. Definitely. So I really don't blame them, blame any institute or any, not just coaching or any institute. The environment is such that you will have that gap. So if you want to go beyond your cap, then you will have to be double skilled and being able to do that. And yes, as you then correctly said, you may, you may reach 10x to it, 20x, but you should also be prepared at what if you don't even meet that 1x. So it works both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is right. Mega, now, how is life different from the times you worked as a faculty and now you run your own training academy? It is to it is a totally different experience. Number one, uh, I think I have got more time for myself now. Oh, because great. earlier for this kind of money, I was like working both weekends. Okay. I was working almost every day because some days some commitment used to be there. Right. And since, you know, I was, all, I'm also a very passionate worker. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's do the content also. Let's do teaching also. Let me do the all in a webinars also. Let me go and speak at conferences also. So I used to do all kind of work. Like I was not just somebody who used to train just GMAT work with. Hmm. So I was doing a bit of everything. Okay. Okay. At some place or the other. And I was totally enjoying that new experience. Right. But then, of course, yes, that also gave me less time for my personal pursuits and for my personal life and my family life. 
now when i started doing my own work i am able to set my own calendar and the gmat private classes gives me that uh, flexibility that i know the student wants an early morning class but maybe let's say if i can't connect on monday and tuesday and tuesday also works for the student then maybe i can have monday morning for my work and then i can connect with the student on tuesday so that flexibility for me especially as a woman has given me a lot of space to balance both the things in my life and thereby eliminating a lot of stress also now i'm able to give time to myself i'm able to give time to my family i'm able to relax maybe at some point let's say i can have one hour in a in a week maybe not one hour but a half hour where maybe i don't have to do anything at all okay maybe right but earlier i was working like crazy right so yeah time flexibility and you know you will not believe what profound impact if you first start exercising more you spend time with your loved ones more start hanging out and laughing with them more it just gives you a lot of peace and it just makes you very sane as a person and you're not always go 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 this keeps you more grounded and you're just a little happier in long term i feel so i think that is the biggest shift that has happened in working for somebody and having the time dictated by them versus having your time dictated to other people that's great i thought you were going to say you know what uh, now that i'm running my own academy i have absolutely no time while working i had some time at least but then here it's the other actually yeah actually another aspect that i'm enjoying of going private is that now i'm not just even doing the teaching work yeah i'm also learning how to do social media right so even though we i have a marketing marketing people but uh, i now learning those things also which earlier i used to underestimate a lot and now i realize the value of correct marketing the value of correct counseling over a call and lot of other things as well so i think earlier my enjoyment came from learning new things about my subject and my content i think now along with that i'm learning new skill sets also right for example for technology and everything and i think that just you know keeps things very exciting for me what else can i do how can i improve okay let's try this then we try something we get okay okay response then we try something else and it just you know we get so many enrollments so i think that uh, i'm enjoying that uh, learning experience also we will definitely talk a lot more in depth about that business side of things but before we go there i have another question out of curiosity you know while you were saying when you when you worked as a faculty mm-hmm. you not only stuck to training you did a lot of other things you said things like content or seminars mm-hmm. can you uh, walk mm-hmm. us through all the other things that you did apart from training mega see then apart from training i also uh, used to deliver admission seminars or gmat induction seminars also so i used to be a speaker at speaker at those events i used to also counsel students apart from gmat let's say or cat or for that matter the students used to come to me ma'am this is the problem that is the problem perhaps sitting with the student maybe at the institute having a little bit cup of tea with them together for 10 minutes and maybe it's just relieving their anxieties i was also working on the content because let's say the institutes whatever material they give it needs a lot of proofreading and organization mm. that okay we are preparing a mock test out of so many questions how can you prepare a mock test how should we edit it what are the technical glitches so all those things also i was doing i was also interestingly doing the faculty training also so the hiring that used to happen so i was on the team of trainers who used to train the new faculties as well right so i trained i think some decent 32 33 faculties by the time i resigned so i have experience of teaching not just the students but i also have experience of teaching the teachers who will teach the students for right 
so i think that also kind of gave me a lot of sense of how to handle different kind of people okay the way you teach a student and you have a scope sometimes to scold a student you can't scold a colleague too but the colleague is responsible for teaching 50 students next week right you can't afford him to mess up right so how do you deal with those people how do you put your content across so i think that gave me a lot more exposure also the business side of things marketing side of things i think that really gave me the confidence that if i have to go solo i have more skills and understanding and experience than just the you know question part of things great and mega uh, from your experience and the things that you've seen how do you look at this uh, test prep industry you know is it going to get bigger and bigger or do you see any major changes coming in see test prep industry is here to stay okay that goes without a doubt because people will always study right right people will always study they may not study for mba they might study for some other degree okay right that trend in future might change okay but there will always be some need for formal training always right now can anybody predict it's going to be gmat only and mba no for that we have to adapt with the changing times right but people will always study people will study even more in the session as we learn from covid times yes right when people got laid off then people came back to upgrading their skill set and actually the enrollments and you know the thirst for knowledge increased actually at that mm. right so the test prep industry is here to stay now which test prep that could that is something which will keep on evolving got it now speaking of that evolution part even for gmat or any exam you will see the format changing where if, after let's say every 3 4 years interestingly for gmat they have come out with a gmat focused edition which is a little revised version of gmat mm-hmm. they made it shorter they have made it uh, they have made the content they have reduced the content to be prepared and they are making it more adaptive for an online experience and for accommodating more appointments in general so the format of the exam will also keep on changing according to the students and the general society okay right so earlier gmat used to be a lengthier exam now it will become shorter okay okay earlier let's say it used to be take students three to four months to prepare but now that the content will be reduced maybe the student can be prepared in just two months okay so now what will be the longer term impact of it more and more students would want to take the gmat mm, right the good part as a business is then i we at trainers can expect more enrollments because more people will be encouraged to take yeah. that exam but the challenge on the other hand will be that since more and more people are going to take that exam the cut off expected will also become high right we lose sight of that we just see oh it's going to be very encouraging it's very easy come 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 but then the trainers and the student must not lose sight you know since the competition is more and let's say a school accepted you at a 710 maybe now they would expect a 720 730 from you for that same got it got it mega now uh, coming to prep with mega uh, what was the first step you know how did you get your first student was it easier because you know you were in the industry for such a long time um what are the things you did i think for me it kind of became a once i think you know uh, i'll be very honest the moment i set that intention that okay i am going to do my work solo now 
you know that synergy happened and you know all the synchronicities as they say that if you have that intention things started work stuff start to work out i had not even finalized the name prapat mega i had not even announced formally and i got a student through word of mouth okay so this was a student who studied from me 3 3 and a half years back now he's pursuing his mba from oxford he sent his younger sister right. and the younger sister said that ma'am i want to study from you and i studied from xyz institute and everything but i still still not understanding and my brother is saying that go to mega ma'am that student somehow had my number and he gave the number to his sister and the sister came to me so i started teaching her then i got more students more students so today also even if we advertise and we use social media i think the bulk of my enrollment still come from word of mouth and i think that kind of you know makes me very satisfied also somewhere that eight years i have worked at least there is there are some people who are happily putting the word out for me without expecting anything in return right i mean that student not just a sister but i have students who willingly are saying ma'am we want to write about your uh, prepped mega on our uh, on our bulletin boards or on in the college blogs that hey this is a gma trainer and she trained me and she is very good would you like to start you know if you have any if you plan to study for gmat you can contact her students are coming to me willingly and telling me they do, they want to do this so for me getting that first student was organic right and i think they do, those are the kind of inquiries i was getting earlier also to be very frank hmm. but then because i was working and i'm a little ethical that way that if i am working with this so i will not do my work solo so i think that kind of after i taught one student solo and this happened after i resigned from the company's everything right once i taught that one student solo i knew i could do it and after then there that one became more and more and more okay great uh mega now there are many transitions one you know from a business hmm. aspect and one from you know let's say before the the virus and all those things before the pandemic i think it was mostly uh, classroom training right and then probably mm-hmm. during the pandemic you still worked for academies and you probably did online and um, how how have you had to adapt you know uh, from teaching in a classroom atmosphere to uh, teaching online see i was doing some kind of online work before covid also okay so before that corona outbreak i was still involved in some webinar something so i knew some technicalities about an online class but the experience of a live classroom class and an online class these are very two different experiences yeah. i think from my side now i because i do my classes mostly online my endeavor is to give the student the same experience same content same personal connection right which i would have given in a classroom setting also i think as a trainer i feel a change because when you are sitting with let's say 30 40 students and all the students are looking at you like this you know and listening to you writing you know that feel and the satisfaction the joy the live feedback that you get from so many students is something else i think that's the energy, energy. that we yeah. trainers feed on yeah yeah right yeah. from a live audience yes but in a work, in an online session now we've gotten very used to and very comfortable i think now somewhere also you can still have that right even now i'm connected with you virtually i think the emotions are still there right that you know let's share our knowledge let's share our wisdom with other people right right so now it is still okay but yes initially it was a lot of transition initially i remember when the lockdown first happened there was a lot of skepticism that how is it going to you know go on 
are a tech is that technology adapted enough to you know give the student the same experience as they would have had in classroom and the students were also skeptical that should we even pay for this much because we don't know how the online thing will run and should we wait for the covid outbreak to die out and then maybe go back to the class so there was a lot of confusion lot of chaos nobody knew what's going to happen and i think from that place i think my biggest lessons of entrepreneurship came that how do you put yourself how do you keep going when you don't know what is happening and it is just that you take the next step and then see what what happens in times of unpredictability you can't have a definite future but what you can do is okay this is the next logical step i think let me take that logical step and then and see from there so i think that lesson i got and it was not just from teaching but from everything around me that let's take the next step and then see where it goes so that transition and also the as a trainer i was very good in writing on writing on the yeah. board and everything for personally for me as a trainer one major thing that i had to adjust was to get very comfortable with technology right right so that was one thing so for that personally i it is not something which will be relevant to all maybe but for me you know to be able to do zoom classes to do online classes seeing myself on the screen also because you know one major difference is when you're teaching in the classroom you're seeing the students yeah now you're seeing yourself also on screen yeah so in the initial days even that used to seem very odd right but then you just get a hang of it and i think that the students also got a hang of it students i think also did the same that you know our deadlines are still there the institutes are not opening any time let's try online right and once they tried and we tried and we both the parties had decided that let's make it work i think that it worked and thank god for technology i think the i think zoom and all these you know video conferencing platforms have been like our saviors yeah. i believe and they just kept the world connected and people were able to share and learn and everything and kudos to the teachers not just i'm not saying for me but kudos to the entire i think all the people who were trying to make things work on yeah both teachers and students particularly if i talk about academy but all over the world people who had the determination not to just sit down yeah. and give up but to make of whatever they had and try to do whatever they can yeah so i think that technology adaptation i think adapt adaptation to something new and being receptive to technology and not just seeing our technology is there now online classes will be there or it will going to go but incorporating everything together i think all of these those i think were the major transitions which shifted our industry also i feel the students also now got a good idea and the same experience online right i think that also helped the private tutors like me to set up something online right because if i were to do something let's say on in a physical classroom then my expenditures would have been much higher my rental the renovation electricity bills water bills now that i can deliver content online and that also you know believe me requires a very separate skill set the way you can teach an online class and the tonality of your content delivery in online is very different so if you can adapt to that and you have the correct technology then your expenses will be not as high it will just be a fraction of let's say if i were to open prep with mega at a proper center with a proper office reception everything then the expenditures would could have perhaps been prohibitively uh, high for me so i think that technology has given lot of trainers like me to have that uh, to be able to take that next step because then i think the expenditure part of it is not that big of a yeah 
I think two three years back, if somebody would have asked me to you know invest millions or lakhs to open up an institute, I think I would have thought ten twenty times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Entrepreneurship is just one internet connection away today. Uh, yes, I think it has made just people much braver to try out whatever they want to try, and I think that is the. that is the beauty of it now i love technology now i'm like okay teach me try, let me try <laughs> earlier i used technology please don't tell me <laughs> but i think now and you know that's very paradoxical even though i've done computer science in my undergrad but uh, i am a little you know skeptical about technology but the value of it i learned now got it mega mega now when you come to technology right there are two aspects one is the software side and one is the hardware side especially for trainers So, what are the tools that you use from a hardware and a software point of view? See, from a hardware point of view, I work on a Mac, and then I have a digital board with a digital pen. Because as a trainer, it is very cumbersome for me to type. Okay, it is, but it is very easy for me to write with a pen, and the student can see on the other side. So, in terms of hardware, I think a good uh, internet connection and a good reliable machine. Your laptop, it could be any laptop, but a good reliable one, which will not shut down in middle of your class. Okay, something which will be you know steady, yeah. and my digital board and pen. In terms of hardware, these are the. The digital I'm board, thinking. which brand of, is it? Could you share? It is of Wink. Okay, if if I can show you if you want, but uh, sure. it's like a normal digital board. Any, uh, it's like a tablet okay. of A4 size. Okay, and you can just keep your attach it like how you attach a mouse or something with a card, and then you have a pen. So whatever I write on that board, it just comes in my handwriting only. Comes on the whiteboard. So Zoom that means comes on the whiteboard. Or let's say if I'm sharing the PPT and I'm writing on the digital board, so whatever I'm writing is coming on the PPT. PPT. Got it. So as a trainer, it's very important for me because you know sometimes we need to underline something, put crosses, put boxes, put arrows, so that digital board and pen really makes my work very convenient. Right. So that is the hardware Admin. requirement. Software right now we are doing our classes on Zoom. Okay. And then the Zoom provides us with that uh, cloud recording option also. Of course, it's like if you go beyond the point, it's a paid option, but that option is definitely there. So I'm doing my classes on Zoom. I provide the recordings of the classes also to the students. Okay. And of course, in future we are moving to bigger platforms. So we already have a website in place, and in I think in the next two to three months we'll be ready to upload our recorded lectures. And have a bundle of them, and the students who cannot take out the time to take classes with me can perhaps per purchase those down, you know, recorded lectures, and then have a whole thing. Like we, the entire thing is very structured and planned. So we're going to have a proper platform in which you take a class, you do the homework on the website, you submit it, we see what you schedule a doubt session if you need, then you have the next lecture unlocked. So it's going to be very systematic. So in terms of uh, software. I think we are as of now you're using Zoom, Zoom. right now. Got it. As of now, we are using Zoom. Got it. And Mega, I saw on your LinkedIn write-up about yourself. You do private classes one-on-one, which is the maximum demand, and then you also do group batches. What's the split between right. these two modes right now? See, for me right now, I think ninety percent of my students want private classes. Right. So uh, I'll be very frank. I wanted to do private classes only. Okay. Because the one-on-one, see, GMAT is not something in which one size can fit all. Okay. Right. This is what I realized. Mm. But earlier, most of the institutes or you know test prep companies used to give batches. Right. Right, because it is just more economically viable for them. Imagine having an infrastructure and you just have one student. 
and imagine the same infrastructure with 20 students so of course it is you know more commercially viable for them but i noticed that in a group some students might have certain challenges also right because not everybody is at the same level to begin with so if not everybody is at the same level how can the student grasp what you are saying right then every student join group patches and then they feel that okay these two days in a week i can take out this much time but trust me as students keep on like it's week three week four week five some personal emergency happens some problem at home or let's have a deadline at office or my semester exams have started so students are not able to keep up with the fixed timetable of a group right so to actually those things used to worry me as a trainer because then whatever work i have done with them we have to start all over when they come right maybe not all over for some students maybe 20 30 percent but we had to backtrack to be keep again right right private tutoring to a large extent eliminates all those problems right so private one-on-one -on -one classes are highly flexible talking about pep with mega our first appointment goes out at 7 a.m in the morning and our last appointment goes out at 10 p.m. in the night also. And then, of course, throughout the day, we have classes. Okay. Right? That doesn't mean that from 7 to 11 in the night, I'm at my computer only. But the flexibility of having an open timetable is there for the student. Yeah. So the student doesn't have to miss a class. The student can simply say, Mom, on these days, I will not be available. So can we plan our schedule around? Right. Are you getting my point? Yeah. So it is about that so private coaching gives the student a lot of flexibility to schedule the class. Since the student knows that I can come back after two days also and I'll still be able to catch up, they are more likely to come back and yet continue with the GMAT preparation, which sometimes they used to reach a point of backlog into the group that they used to completely give up on GMAT. Right. I have, you know, let the, let's say the student skipped three, four classes because of some personal reason. Let's say the student is not well. Okay. Now the backlog has become so much because it's a group. Yeah. The teacher will start now from the fifth class. The student is not able to keep up with the fifth class because he doesn't know the previous yeah. class. So it just makes the student so frustrated that at one point student says, okay, I'm not able to do GMAT. Let me focus on something mm. else. Right. right. That dropout rate used to be very high in a group. But the dropout rate is bare minimum in private because in private, the student is coming. He's paying more. And he's having schedule at his pace. The student can do homework at his pace. If let's say the student feels that I have the whole day, ma'am has given one hour of homework, I can do it today and I can connect tomorrow. You can do that if my schedule allows and your schedule allows. But if a student feels, ma'am, I have a lot of office work also, can you give me four or five days to complete this work? Right. You can have your four or five days completed in peace, do it with an allotment and then come back. Right. Right. So private coaching, teaches you from where you want to start. Let's say there could be a student whose basics are also very The student cannot read even two paragraphs coherently. Versus a student who naturally right now, if he's without preparation, sitting at a 670, Right. So his mindset will be now, if I teach him mundane basics, he'll be like, I already know it. Correct. Can you teach me from this place? So private gives you that adjustment also, that the trainer can start from your level and bring you to that. Yeah. And you can have your timing also that I want to study at 7. I want to study at, let's say, 1, 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Right. So because of that, I personally feel that the private classes are more, uh, you know, viable if you want to, viable option or let's say a much, much better option if you want to prepare for China. Okay. But, but of course, since private classes are more expensive, I will admit that we started the group classes also. 
but i'm very surprised that even if you have launched group classes and the group is going very well i still get students who want to shift to private or they want private only even if it's just costing them more than double right so today also 90% of my students despite having an option to enroll in a group are still going for private, private coaching and i think that also tells us as a test prep industry that what are the needs of those students right right got it mega uh, you said you know 90% is private coaching as a for me for yeah me. for you uh now as a you know individual trainer let's say i mean uh, let's not think about expansion at this point just for people to give an idea as to how much can one gmat trainer aspire for the range from a lot of things right so at any point in time how many students can you accommodate i'm able like i have right now i think about 18 to 20 cases going on right and they all have different schedules like there are some students who have weekends and some students who have weekdays and then of course like i work right now i'm working 5 to 6 hours almost every day right sunday i try to take it a little like then okay otherwise you work every single day there's not a day that you're almost completely days. off no but then what happens is that between let's say i have i have my class in the morning i must have classes post lunch in the middle i can take out time for this podcast right so that happens right. so it's again as i said it's not like i'm working on the one sitting yeah. and working yeah. all yeah. day but i'm doing my own thing then coming back doing my own thing coming back you know so my personal work is also happening on this side got it right so it's like that but yes these many students we have at now we have with us great 18 to 20 students is not uh, bad it's a good number because uh, from yes. from the number of people that i've spoken to the average is somewhere around 14 exactly 6 hours a day but 7 days a week and um, and people are trying to scale up which i will you know i have a bunch of questions for you as well but uh, let's take one student uh, what is the typical and you teach only verbal correct you don't uh, touch quant i teach only verbal yeah. yes as of now yes yeah and how many hours of a session typically of course it's going to vary for students to you know from people yes. to people but on an average how many hours does it take for you to complete the course mega Uh, every session is about hour hour and a half okay group classes somewhere are around one and a half to two hours okay okay so per session i feel if the student is learning he's solving questions also with me right now hmm. making notes and everything i think one one and a half hour is a decent time i think less than that then you've not done much and i think one after one and a half hour students find it saturated that this yeah. is what they can take in yeah so one one and a half hour is the duration for me to finish my syllabus i think it takes about 18 to 20 hours for me right to complete my verbal content over and above that then you have the doubt sessions more material that we need to do and about mock papers and let's say student needs the revise workshops or if student needs to us to set and solve 700 level questions back to back then the student is at testing stage all of that is extra if i count that extra also it will be let's say 30 hours so 20 to 30 years you can be very well prepared for verbal according to how i teach got it now that being said i've also seen other trainers who take let's say 30 years only to finish the content for me i am able to finish the content in 20 years let's say 20 22 hours content you know, and what is the other part content is like the main thing that i want to teach the conceptual part of things and we do basically the official guide properly but apart from that let's say once you've taken the classes now you go back for your self preparation right 
you will take some sample papers practice. you will okay. solve some tests you will have practice right post class which i say so that post class and all those post class workshops that you want to do the doubt sessions you know you want to sit with me and discuss your paper ma'am i got this thing this is what i did right is what i did wrong so what should i do in my next exam got it. all those discussions and appointments for me i think it is maximum let's say if i do everything with a student it will be maximum of 30 hours 30 hours maximum and because i am a trainer who believes the student doesn't have infinite time yeah i do can't be just teaching the student the teacher the student at some point has to take the exam yeah yeah right and i think that is you know i would also like to share i think that also uh you know many students fail to realize that a trainer who can finish your work a little simpler and faster but is charging you more the student is charged the teacher is charging more because they can condense your yeah work. yeah it's more valuable i could have charged less yeah exactly i could have charged less made you work for more number of days i would have gotten the same money at the end of the day but whose time is getting wasted yeah. the students yeah so the day the students realize that time is also a value and the trainer is asking you for a higher fees because they can reduce your workload yeah by a lot of hours yeah that is why the trainer is charging higher so we don't have, many students don't have that mentality you know and sometimes students call call us and they say oh you are charging this much the other trainer is charging this charging less than us so we tell them that if you are comfortable with that trainer feel free to go ahead it's really up to you but why we are charging this much is that we'll be able to do your syllabus much faster without compromising on the quality without compromising on your result not just to rush through we do everything in detail but it is the skill of the trainer yes. to cut the crap and just tell you the relevance yes and for that skill and experience the t- trainer is demanding what they demand yeah in fact uh, it's unfortunate that you know it is seen from a point of view that oh you know what 20 hours you're charging the same as a trainer who's charging 30 hours but what they don't realize is this trainer is saving your 10 hours of time and still giving you the same outcome as a trainer who does the same thing for 30 hours yes. yeah but that's how the indian mentality is you know yeah so um, we are we are <laughs> we're absolutely okay because we get by god you know touch wood we are getting inquiries and the students who realize this thing let's see why my why my 90% of my enrollments are still for private because most of them are repeat students they made this mistake mm they went to different trainers they went to this these group classes which are much much cheaper and they realized it's not working for them right. so that is now where they know that this is required and that is why they come to me right and i also want to i want students who are genuinely interested in excelling on gmat right and that's why if the student is actually paying you this much the student is very clear in his head that the student wants to do something within this time right it also just instills a sense of seriousness towards this work right and if if the student if the fees was very less and the student is enrolled with the student can afford to lose that fees you cannot be sure that the student is actually going to end up taking his exam right right and when you're charging do you enroll do you onboard students uh, like say for example 5 hours at a time or do you uh, you know onboard 20 hours at a time how does that work mega and see for uh, See for group we have a fixed format. Okay. That we have these many classes for this many fees and these will be our deliverables. We stick to our commitment. The timings are there. The classes are recorded. Everything is given out. For private it is open. Right. So for private it is there are some students who really let's say who have done other things 
they have problem in just one area and they don't want too many classes because they just want to rectify that topic with me right so for those students they can actually go appointment by appointment is absolutely okay right then we have a 15 hour setup i have a 20 hours setup and a 25 to 30 hours setup so the 30 hours also we have made it a little flexible that you can enroll with us for 25 and should you want to extend we will give you that same concession rate got it so if let's say some student wants to study for 35 you're most welcome to do that and of course the more uh, the student books the classes with us in bulk the more you know incentive there is for student because then the price uh, concession becomes more and more so the per hour class is the most expensive but then you get 15 hours class 20 25 and then on 25 and onwards the 25 and onwards are the will be the most discounted price got it so but your minimum is like 15 hours or people can simply come and book you for minimum, even one hour there is no minimum there is no minimum you can take an one appointment with me for one hour just to discuss your mock paper you are very welcome how much do you charge for one hour just one hour as compared to like 25 hours mm i would just say that my per hour is more expensive than my you know bulk okay enrollments fine because you know that again that kind of depends okay no uh, i think uh, from yeah no problem uh, from what i've seen it ranges somewhere at about uh, on an average it's about 3000 rupees per hour is what uh, mm-hmm. kind of happens anywhere between 3000 yes. to there are people who are also charging say 6000 rupees for yes. uh, courses like sats and mm-hmm. uh, uh, another thing is you know uh, let's say lot of trainers are underselling themselves they have no idea how much yes. actually they are worth yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. we thought you know this will kind of you know at some point normalize you know when all the gmat mm-hmm. trainers are charging you know 3000 rupees per hour 4000 rupees per hour mm-hmm. then it becomes a normal mm-hmm. thing oh yeah gmat you know that's how much they charge you know 4000 rupees mm-hmm. per hour 3000 rupees yes. per hour and um, the thing is it's it's a very basic sense that as you know as an indian population we are like growing and the economic status mm-hmm. of all the indian families are definitely increasing at whatever rate mm-hmm. and every single year the number of students that are going to take gmat are also going to increase but are the trainers of certain caliber also going to increase in the same rate we don't know that and i think this is where uh, the prices are going to be you know premium uh, if you want access to quality trainers hmm. i think the fees that a gmat or a gri or any private tutor is going to ask for i think it also depends on what is happening around you i think you put it very well that if it becomes a norm but the the thing is that it is still not a norm because we still get students who for who are inquiring from us and they say to our face ma'am you are charging x the other person is charging x minus 100 rupees well i mean the student who is not very conscious about the quality of the training who is very cost conscious and not quality right. conscious right the student is going to that trainer who will give him like 100 200 rupees concession per hour so he's like ma'am if i take 10 hours it's going to be 2000 rupees so we don't want that kind of students to be associated with us not because they you know for 2000 rupees more or less we can also give them that discount and we can give 300 rupees discount for that matter how does it matter to me but the point is is this that this student doesn't have the correct mentality the student does not value yeah. correct guidance yeah right that is a problematic thing because that will reflect in his training also right 
right so those kind of we want students who have clarity of what they want and how where they want to go you have the student then your only work is to guide the student correctly but again you know it's very unfortunate that still we are in a cost conscious economy right now as you know and the prices are very also very competitive because if you're charging this much and then some other person is charging less than you then at one point even you have to take a call that how long can i be selling this for yeah right but then again as i said that if you want people to pay you for service whether it is teaching or any technology or anything service oriented you need to be sure that your service is the best right once they know for sure that your service is best then you can ask them whatever they want not 10 people will be able to afford it maybe just two people will be able to afford it but those two people will make that mastery will make that experience worthwhile got it mega <clears throat> mega now um to me uh, what i'm going to be talking about or asking you about in the next uh, 20 30 minutes is very interesting for me so one is okay. uh, the marketing right one of the things one of the most sought after knowledge in today's world with people who are offering services especially as a solopreneur is how do you sell right um and a lot of people it is very organic word of mouth referrals but these things are not replicable you cannot learn these things come with time but then um removing these aside you know that you build out of your reputation now what are the practices that you follow when it comes to marketing acquiring students what are the plans you have how much have you executed and how much that there is for you to execute see for us so far the major bulk of enrollments have come through word of mouth i'll be very honest because as you said i've worked in this industry for 8 yeah, years yeah so for 8 years i have built a certain reputation among my students who are sending me students right and then for every private enrollment i take and let's say the student is preparing with me for end to end the student is with me for 2 to 3 months right so there is a certain bandwidth that i can cater and again as i said that most of it is organic right now however we have been using linkedin greatly and you know as i am also learning a technology these days so we've been using linkedin more and more we have been very we have been getting inquiries on linkedin as well and we also have a website in place and then we are very soon going to start with the google search advertising and all of those things right. i am also now realizing the value of marketing and we have a system in place and we are hoping to implement that in the next 2 3 months but you have to go one thing i will agree to that no matter how talented or trainer you might be you have to go out and put your work yeah. Yeah. You can't be sitting at home and expecting oh I've done so much work somebody is going to come and pay me. No, you have to tell people that now you're doing this. This is what you have to offer. Okay, you can take private classes, okay, you can do group classes, and in future we are also going for recorded classes. So you have to put your word out there so that people know. And then maybe they can get a call. They can take a call. People need to know you, and for that you have to be out there in the market. You have to be outspoken. You have to talk to people. You have to advertise yourself. Right. So that is definitely there. No trainer, no matter how good the trainer can be, should expect that the that work will come to them just sitting at their home. Right. They have to make efforts. Right. 
because it's easy when when bulk of your students are coming through word of mouth it's easy to get lost uh, or you know forget the fact that you know marketing is going to do its job at the end of the day word of mouth is going to come in but it's probably going to limit you at a certain number but if you have higher aspirations you obviously have to do uh, you know other inorganic marketing and stuff like that as well absolutely absolutely uh mega my next question is um about let's say now as a solopreneur right you said there is there are so many things that you have to do now uh, as opposed to working for an academy you know where you still did a lot of things apart from training you literally did business development when you did seminars you worked mm-hmm. for their content and all those things mm-hmm. i'm sure you're going to be doing all those things even here but above mm-hmm. and beyond that there's this huge thing of marketing in marketing there's so much right if you take just platforms as linkedin mm-hmm. there's twitter or instagram whatever it is and then these needs content content strategy videos etc 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 and then comes website so when you need all these services at at this point mm-hmm. are you going the outsourcing route or are you hiring people in house to carry on these tasks for you or are you doing them yourselves uh, at this point so we outsource the initial work of website making to somebody else so the website was done but the linkedin part of it we are still doing it i'm mostly doing it myself with the help of my husband and all so uh, the website part of it actually was also developed to a large extent by my husband he is a he is the like the marketing prince behind prepsat mega so Great. the website to a large extent was done by my husband and the linkedin and everything is being done by my husband he is the marketing guy so he keeps pushing me also make a market yourself make a market yourself so i i think that push i get from him so we have been doing that and then now we'll be also starting proper google advertising and everything right out. so and of course as you said it is just not or just posting anything on linkedin no what to post right so even that takes a lot of time that i realize now that even for me to write that one article yeah. just to sit and think okay what i want to say because there's so much you want yeah. to say yeah which will not fit in one post yeah so how do you do that even let's say i learned that now let's say even we want to put out one linkedin article there's a certain word count there's a certain sense to write it it is not a general newspaper article so you have to have shorter sentences right, maybe right and the caption should be you know eye catching and all of those things so i think those little little nuances also i'm learning as i'm now starting to use that platform more and more got it so those are small small things i learned put some uh, picture with it and how many impressions and how many these things but then i also have to be a little conscious that since he is the marketing personality of the thing of prepit mega i need to kind of sometimes take a step back and just focus on my yeah. content and not get too engrossed in what content he's put, putting out what reels we are putting out and you know whatever you know what for how many impressions how many comments how much engagement all of that is important but thankfully i have a helping hand for that so that i can focus on the teaching part of my things got it uh, i think um, having a partner who's having a husband mm. partner who's a marketing mm. uh, guy is just invaluable because one of the things um, that a lot of gmat uh, entrepreneurs lack or they struggle with is marketing um two things right one is the mindset itself 
people who are into mm-hmm. teaching, you know, who are doing work in the background, they are wondering what is all this about, you know, going and putting it out there as to what you did and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the second is the methods or the skills that one needs to kind of do that in a methodological manner. Also, uh, these are the two things that's lacking. Mm-hmm. And I think um, mm-hmm. you having in uh, that that particular skill set in such close quarters and having the open mind to also listen and execute some things, I think uh, mm-hmm. you you definitely have an advantage over the other GMAT entrepreneurs out there. I do have an advantage, but I'll say this also that let's say if my husband was and he's not like prep with Mega is not the only thing he okay. does. He gives it only limited time. <laughs> he has his own business and everything. He has 100 pursuits of his own. So he's very busy. Okay. Okay, many times the marketing end of things are just suggestions. And then I have to go ahead and implement. But then again, yes, the push for keep marketing myself, that I think is his most invaluable uh, contribution. Because the website making, if he would not have contributed, I would have hired somebody to do that. That's no problem. Right. Right. Similarly, for learning how to use LinkedIn and how to write and everything, that I'm also experimenting as I'm writing all those things. So, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, want people to know that you don't even don't have to have a husband who specializes in marketing to do your work <laughs> so you can actually just go out and there are so many marketing agencies but one thing that should be there is that you should have clarity of how you want to market yourself. right that clarity nobody else will come and tell you they will seek that clarity right from you. right right my husband didn't come and say okay i want to market you like this i said this is what i want right this is how it has right. to be in fact, for in fact, the little disadvantage also of having a having a part-time involved in this is that we have disagreements also. Right. <laughs> we are like, no, we'll do like this, and I'm like, no, no, we'll not do like this, right? So those things are also there, but that's like you know, that's on a lighter note. But the idea is just this: that whether you have in-house, whether you hire somebody, or let's say you have a friend who you are collaborating with, or you are doing right. yourself. The one thing which matters the most is that you should have your own sense of how you want to market your services. Right. If you will let somebody else dictate, and they, you can always take suggestions. Right. Take suggestions. But you also need to be clear that what kind of a trainer you want to be and what kind of, how do you want things to right. be. Right. So I think that will come only from you. So that you can tell the other person the framework and then within the framework, what they can do best is their control. Yeah, no. Uh, you rightly said. See, obviously, you know, having a uh, having a spouse who's into marketing um, doesn't mean they're going to do everything for you. They're going to give you those invaluable ideas which you'll have to go and implement. But even before that, you said one more thing. You know, you don't have to have a spouse, marketing spouse, for you to be able to do marketing because you can go out and get a marketing agency. But mega, the point is there is still not enough awareness or conviction that they need to step out to take the services of a marketing agency. You know, that itself is lacking. So when you have a very closed, close relationship where you discuss marketing and you see the importance, the mindset is very different. You are, you are like, you don't even have a doubt that you need marketing. You know for a fact that you need marketing and what marketing is going to do for you. But um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of trainers are still to accept that marketing is going to contribute to them. That's where I was coming from. See, actually, this comes to, brings you back to one of the few questions that you asked me, that what is the difference and what made you take that shift? 
that you left your safety net and you became an entrepreneur. Right. I think those skills, as I was saying, that business skill has to come from you. If you don't if believe, if you just believe that, you know, I my services good. And that's what's, what's going to take me to run a business. Then you don't have a business mindset to begin with. Forget marketing. Right, right. If you don't realize the value of a good HR, you don't realize value of good financial management and good marketing, good service, customer satisfaction, good technology. If you don't recognize the other aspects of your business, right. then you might as well stick to your training part of things. Right. So when you are becoming an or you you are becoming an entrepreneur. From day one, you should have this clarity that you are need to going to handle a lot, lot of other things also. Yeah. Now, whether you do it in house or you go to agency, that is up to you how you want to do it. But if you don't have that clarity, then I don't think that the person is in the business game of things. He's just in in the job mindset that okay, I can teach, give me work, I get I get paid, I'm happy at it. Then that's completely okay. That works for them. But if you don't have that attitude that you know marketing is important or HR is important or finances are important, then I think then as as a business owner something is lacking fundamentally. Yeah, I think the very purpose or the outcome we thought of you know having a podcast like this is not only to just help people to do the right things to become an entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. everybody may not be interested in doing all these things. A lot of people are just happy, yeah, you know. Hey, I don't want to do all those things, man. I've got my core skill set. I'm gonna like sell that skill set to kind of make a living which is also perfectly fine and this can also this conversation can also save a lot of people from burning their hands and then realizing this is not their cup of tea absolutely you know interestingly i'll you know i'll just share a personal and you know conversation so we are collaborating with a lot of other trainers also because going forward we want to do GRDs and SATs and we want more people to collaborate with yep. us and more math teachers and admission counselors yep. So I remember this particular conversation I had with a particular con faculty. It's very good, right? And you know, we were discussing the possibilities of collaborations and all of those right. things. And you know, for days and weeks we were discussing. Right. So he had certain things about how this is going to work, how is that going to work. We were also thinking how is this going to work at your end and everything. But then at the end, and it is not just you know that just it's just him. Everybody comes from different circumstances. That person cannot afford. not to have a certain sum at the end of the month right yeah right so he cannot take that risk even though he would want to let's face yeah. it yeah after a couple of conversations when i realized that he will need that fixed security right right then i told him point black that that you need to sort out this thing with you with your in your own head and with your family right right because i said it in the early, you know beginning of the podcast also to have that financial how well you're financially placed to be able to not have the salary next month right and then starting from that if, you know every person is very tempted by the 10x yes that i i'm making x i can make 10x look i have a great idea right right but you should also be prepared that what if you don't even have that x forget it right right so i am a little conservative in that way right so i i told him point black that you know so you do your work you do your own thing and but if you think that you cannot take that plunge don't take that plunge because nobody can guarantee anything in business right nobody can guarantee yeah it's a taken you can do all the marketing in the world yeah you can do everything there there could be some more factors see who could see covid coming who could see that yeah. 
people had their plans in place universities had their plans in place and covid just turned the world around 180 degree yeah. right we not just forget about the training part but the kind of programs now that the universities are offering the hybrid modes of teaching that they are offering some online and some classroom lot of inventions and lot of things have come adapting to the new environment now so when you're doing your business you have to understand that the climate is going to keep on changing and you have to keep on adapting and if you have that thing that you cannot be not in that space for that now i don't think entrepreneurship is for you then right so that that is my point of view so i told him that you know what to think on those lines and you come back to me whenever you come back to me we'll be happy to have you on board and we will do something together right right so i i really want to make people you know i want to let people know that just don't think that since you're a good trainer you might be you will might be the best trainer in the world yep. but if you don't realize the value of other things in my business and you cannot tolerate those uncertainties also think twice before making a jump yeah so true i believe uh, this conversation happened because probably uh you were not um working out a model where he was going to get a fixed thing right he was going to work with you from a business mm-hmm. point of view based on the number of students that you would enroll yes. got yeah. it got it mega mega uh, based on whatever you said right see again just yeah please just expanding on what you said now just consider how can i also give a fixed thing if i also don't have a fixed thing right now of course yeah You know, so that's why I said that it all depends from person to person, environment to environment, business to business. I think even that and has its own advantage and disadvantage, thing. right? Exactly. When you say exactly. when you're going to give a fixed income, um, hmm. you know, obviously it's not going to be a revenue share of the total number of students the trainer is yes. going to teach. But the advantage with yes. not having a fixed income is you still have a not not no cap on what you can make. right so yes. there comes an advantage as well okay. so I, i think it's exactly. it boils down to the choice of what the yes. trainer wants to kind of handle at that point whether he needs a security of a fixed income or you know he wants to take the chance of maybe you know making a lot more money something worth six months money Correct. in one month so i think it boils down to what Correct. choice they they make Correct. and i think that choice depends on two things i think that one depends on their social factor their own personal factors and secondly if they also have those skills right. to be able to take risk and to be able to tolerate that risk i think both the things together when it just comes in tandem when it kind of makes you a, makes you an entrepreneur yeah yeah mega uh, a while back you know you were talking about the various departments as an entrepreneur that you'll have to oversee for example it could be hr it could be finance so many other things right mm-hmm. now at this juncture i can you know you've clearly stated that you are going to you know you're looking at growing bigger and expanding and you're planning to work with mm-hmm. trainers and all those things i've got a two part question mm-hmm. here the first question is i'm sure you won't be able to do all of those things i'm sure some of them are going to be outsourced you're going to need vendors and all those things mm. just for the people mm. who might be offering these services if they are listening into you mm. what is it that you expect from vendors from whatever experience that you've had so far see first of all we expect from our vendors that they should have an open mind to what we have to say we have also seen this in our past experience that if we for example marketing agency 
we reach out to them we say okay we want this kind of a thing they say no no this will not work we will do this only and trust us we have done it for so many clients we've done this much and we've done that much and what i feel is that as since i'm a service provider like i'm a service provider you're also a service right provider, right you might have a sense of how the website should look and what do i what you want us to do but we also have a certain sense of what we want to do also right so i think one thing which should be there when we are looking at all these people is the recept- a little bit of receptivity and they can expect that receptivity from us also if they have a good idea we are very happy to listen to that idea but you know they should also have this thing that since we are the one paying for the service let the final decision be ours right i think that is one thing which i expect from them and secondly i think also a lot of knowledge and experience because that being said we also recognize that we might not be experts in that domain so we also don't want vendors who will just listen to what we have to say and just make it that blindly we want an idea collaboration in a very true sense that you share your ideas we are paying you we are expecting you to bring something of your own also on the table and then we will give us the freedom and the flexibility that okay out of the five ideas and the layouts that even you have given me this is the one i want to go for right or let's say if i have a sixth layout in my mind so be open to that as Got well it. so i think that uh, collaboration thing is what i would look and that will be common in all departments got it mega over the next 3 months let's say what are the top 3 services that you're looking at to hire definitely more marketing people and uh, we are also looking to hire a business administrative person because now the scheduling and everything we need more hands on right. deck and uh, as that will grow then in future not in 3 months i see but you know hr and all these things also so marketing and uh, help with business administration i think these two things are my prime focus right now and then going ahead maybe like all the other things like you know our ca legal everything we have in place so that we are not actively seeking out right now but if anybody is interested they can always reach out to us got it mega mega uh, another also technology i just want to add very quickly technology Yeah. So we also want more tech people too, you know, because we are working in a in a comprehensive way on the recorded lectures and everything. So we need tech people to be able to, you know, uh, up our game a little bit more. Perhaps you know, help us with better platforms and better, you know, give us guidance on how we can do this better. Right. So if they if technology, I think also we are looking out for so technology marketing. and business administrative people these are our top 3 priorities got it technology i'm i'm definitely going to come back i have one dedicated question about that um but before that now you know you said a lot of your students are coming via referrals or word of mouth which means mega gupta is a brand you know they are coming for a certain trainer you know they've heard that you know mega ma'am teaches well and therefore they're coming for you Yeah. now how yeah. is this going to impact your expansion plans right because when you expand yeah. when you get more students right now one person you said probably yeah. can handle 20 students on a one on one way yeah. that's very yeah. the kind of market we have 20 students is nothing now uh right. to, for tapping uh, into a greater part of the market you're expanding you're going to have more trainers so yeah. how do you think this don't you see a little bit of uh, tug of warrior how do you see this pan out mega 
That's a very, very interesting question. And we've been thinking about that for a while. And what I want to say is that even when you come to come to me, when you come to prep with Megha, even though I'm not teaching, but I'm telling you that this teacher can teach and you study from this teacher. Be rest assured that you will get a very, very good result-oriented service from us. So I don't want Prep with Mega only to be synonymous with GMAT Women. I want Prep with Mega to become synonymous with the promise of quality teaching. Right. That if we come here, then whether we do our just study prep, we do our coaching part of things, or we do admission counseling, or we do anything, they they must be assured that they will get the service that they are required. Right. So I don't want Mega Gupta to become a brand only for GMAT Women. As I was saying that I, we don't want Prep with Mega to be synonymous with just GMAT work. Right. We want Prep with Mega to become synonymous with the credibility and integrity that if you come here, you're getting a bank of bank for your buck, you're getting correct guidance, and you're getting it from very skilled and qualified trainers. So the responsibility is not just of teaching verbal. My responsibility now will be to make sure that you are getting that service. Right, right. Right. So the brand is not just limited to teaching, but the brand is now synonymous with the promise. Got it. Got it, Mega. Um, I think another, the reason I asked you this question is uh, from whatever interactions that I've had in the past, a lot of trainers are also grappling with this transition, right? They've built their brand. Now they want to scale up and, uh, you know, there is a lot of apprehension about how this is going to happen. Now, do you just stick with what's working with you? And there is another, now, you know, there was a safety net that you were talking about when you were quitting your job. This is another situation where, you know, you started your own thing, but then there's another situation where you're, you know, looking at the safety net situation again. You know what, should I leave the safety net of my built brand, 20 students? It's like still not bad at all. You know, it's a lot of good money and stuff. But now expanding from here, how is it going to happen? Um, this is another important, very critical thing that a lot of people face. And that's the reason I asked you, I think the way you put this across was very objective and, you know, you didn't, you didn't fuss about this a lot. You said, you know what, uh, it's just ensuring that students still get what they got from me, just replicating that quality should solve it. Uh, cool. But executing that is another story altogether. And, uh, I'll definitely be, you know, uh, It'll be interesting to probably have a conversation with you six months or one year down the line to see how that is going. Yes. Okay. Uh, so here's my almost final question. Now, you spoke about uh, technology, and uh, which is going to be one of the most... Uh, sorry to interrupt you. You were asking me one more question about upscale that I could not answer and somebody came and the was your question answered? It was. I was just, you know, uh, sharing that uh, you uh, you kind of, you know, put it in a very objective, very, as a matter of fact manner. You know what? That's a problem to solve. And, you know, we got to ensure that the students, if we are expanding, we just have to replicate the quality that I'm already giving. And uh, that's what mm -hmm. the way I interpret it is prep with Mega doesn't mean that, you know, they come sit with Mega to get prepped. They are going to be prepping under Mega's guidance. And Mega is going to give you the guarantee that, you know what, trust me and come if I'm teaching or somebody else is teaching is not the question. Probably it's the Mega's process and uh, Mega yeah. systems that's going to probably help people, uh, you know, get the kind of outcome that they're coming for. And uh, while talking about this, I was expressing 
that a lot of other trainers are stuck here. They've done very well for themselves. They've built their own brand. But, you know, scaling up is a scary prospect again. It's like another situation where you leave your well-paying job and then you're going, uh, doing your own thing. But this is like another situation within their own business. So that's what I was uh, talking about. And I was telling it's going to be interesting. You you said it in a very matter-of-fact way, but I'll be looking forward to talk to you about how you executed this probably six months or one year down the line uh, is what I was uh, coming at. Um, See, it's a, this is something, again, we have been discussing because, you know, as I said, that we are looking for collaborations and everything. Right. And... Uh, it, 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 I have this sense that, you know, if I just see one person can do only so right. much. So if you want to do more, you have to have more hands on deck. And then if there are more hands on deck, you have to give them a certain sense of freedom. Right. You can't expect somebody to come on board with you and do exactly as right. But what you can do is ensure that the, the quality that is delivered to the student is top. Right. Right. So I, we had this view from the beginning that even if I go mm. private, this much I can do private on my own. And if I want to go beyond it, so we'll have to have, we have to kind of let go of a little bit of our, you know, uh, little bit of, you know, that uh, urge in every trainer. No, I, oh, I will teach, only I will teach. I can, I know what to teach, you know, so you have to kind of, I think the, my past experience of training other faculties, as I was mentioning earlier, that I've trained so many teachers across India. I think that kind of made have made me believe to have faith in other trainers also. Right. I think because because now I know how people will teach and they want right. to teach. So if I trust them a little bit, why not? Right. Got it. Mega, uh, before I move on to the technology question, I just, you know, it just occurred to me about this point. You know, you said a lot of uh, services that you're going to be needing from outside agencies. It takes me to this point you spoke about preparing content and working on content for the companies that you worked for. So I'm sure you need that yourself, right? So how are you solving the content uh, piece of your business? Are you subscribing to some uh, people who are already giving you mock tests or mock test platforms or are you going to be preparing in-house? We are actually in discussion with a couple of companies who are giving us the mock paper platforms. Right. How we want to get the mock papers and how we want to set up is again something that is on a discussion level with for us right now. But we are most likely going to collaborate or subscribe to a platform which is offering us mock test platforms in which we can have all, you know, that gamification kind of a thing that you if you do this, then the next thing will get unlocked. So that the student studies is systematic. Student, let's say, is not downloading everything and that is right, it. Right. We don't know what the student's progress Students' progress can be tracked, his errors can be tracked, and then the student can be you know, guided in the most customized right. way. So we will most likely be collaborating or subscribing to the uh, testing platforms. Got it. Great. Now, this obviously, you know, uh, leaves me with one important question, uh, the technology, right? You said use technology is going to be very important. Now, technology is going to play a big role for you in scaling up and stuff like that. What do you, what are the parts you, you think are going to make a wholesome technological platform for you, Mega? What are those pieces? Say, for example, you might need one uh, community where, you know, students are able to discuss and, you know, like a social media within your own thing. And you might need a place where students come and take recorded courses. You might need a place where you're able to schedule your live classes. 
stuff like that, right? So what are the most important things for you uh, that's going to make a great platform? I think the first thing that will, that for me defines a good platform is it should be without technical teachers. And it should have capacity to have a lot of content on this platform and yet not crash. Surprisingly, it happens with a lot of platforms. That is what we have. Wow. So first of all, that we need, first of all, that we, what I look for is that, is the mock test thing. That for me is number one priority right now. So how many mock tests I can upload there? Can they make it, can they give an analytical tool also to me? That if the student has done these many questions in this way, what is the students, you know, analytics, what kind of students, questions they have got wrong and everything. The platform should be able to give me that. Then the platform should also be able to give me, for example, even if I'm putting out recorded videos there. So another thing that I want to encounter is the piracy issue. Because it may so happen that if I don't have those, uh, you know, privacy things sorted, then the students can just download it and circulate it online. Right. Right. So that's infringement of intellectual property. So how can that be protected? How can the data be protected? And let's say the student, only the student who has enrolled, be able to see my recorded content because the student has fairly paid for it, studies from it, and then the student is not further able to record it and then circulate it in an unethical way. So that's a very crucial factor for me that my content should be protected. Then then again, as I said, there are a system in place where you play one, then once that is done, then the next get unlocked and not everything gets unlocked together. So how can they make that those things work? Another thing, how clean they can make it for me. That again is something which is of a designing issue more than a technology issue. That if it is looking to the student, it's looking very daunting to the student. The student is less likely to approach that yeah. work. So can you make it a little bit more streamlined for the student, a little bit more encouraging, give bite-sized things right. out, you know, those kind of things. So what is the design of the platform? What alterations they can give to me? What customizations they can give to me? This? And by customization, we don't mean to say that, okay, we want purple color or pink color. Customization in terms of the content, because if I have to give out, let's say, 20 to 25 hours of recording, it needs to be very, very organized. Right. Okay. So how they can organize things for us? What are the different layouts they can give to us? And uh, especially the you know, privacy and the protection, data protection part of things. Super, super important for us. So once we have these three things in place, then the cost factor. That how much are they charging us for the service? Visa, visa, other so the costing to me comes at a later point. If the platform can guarantee me my data protection, I think that for me will be a very major deciding criteria. Got it, Mega. Great. Mega, um, it's been, all my questions are over the series once. <laughs> and uh, I have to say it was very insightful. Uh, you know, amazing story of yours also. And uh, I'm really excited for your journey ahead. Um, and uh, uh, I would love to, you know, get back to you in six months to one year and, you know, talk about your part two as, you know, the story of Prep with Mega scaling up and stuff like that. It's already really interesting. But before we uh, conclude for the day, I just need five more minutes of your time. It's just some fun, (laughs) stupid questions also, just to keep it light, you know, and regarding GMAT, consider it like some rapid fire and all those things. Let's see how it goes. 
these are again, you know, as I said, very mindless questions. So you just feel free to give okay, whatever. Don't, don't worry about it. No question is mindless, which is what I keep saying in my class. So let's see how it goes. But yeah, you let me know this. Okay, if you could use only one word to describe the GMAT, what would it be and why? Hmm. Logical. Because you don't need to memorize, you don't need to sort of ratify anything, but you really need to analytical brains to analyze the data and come to a result. Very logical and analytical. Two words, but you can choose. That's cool. If you were stranded on a desert island with only one GMAT prep book, which book would you choose? The GMAT official guide. <laughs> this is the second time I'm getting this answer. Okay. If you could create your own GMAT question, what would what would it be about? Critical reasoning. Okay. If the GMAT was a food, what kind of food would it be? A snack. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Why do you say that? A snack because I feel, uh, you know, I tell my students that if you just do GMAT, it just makes you, uh, it is just something which will just sharpen your brains. So I usually tell them, you know, solve the GMAT questions like a riddle. Right, right. right. Solve them like a puzzle. Right. Right. So something which, let's say, even if you're bored, let's say, and you're traveling in Metro, just try five, seven, ten questions of CR and you will actually, it's like for, I feel, it's like pseudo. Right, right, so, right. Know, some, something which you can do. It's in the approach you take towards a snack. Testing. Like even when you're traveling, you can open a packet Absolutely. and eat something in there. You can open and you can do something, you know, it will just keep your minds working. It's like that. Very nice. Sorry, I cut you. You were about to say something. You were about to share something. Uh, I was just saying that, you know, I tell my students that if you uh, get a good score on GMAT, it kind of just tells that you are, you are just uh, a little sharper in your conversations now. Because you've done so much critical reasoning and everything that you become very logic oriented based. Okay, this is the evidence. This is the result. This is what you need to do. It just makes you smarter. So I remember this very interesting anecdote. There was a student of mine who was... Uh, arguing with somebody on social media on Instagram regarding a movie. Right. So the person had, uh, you know, given some comments on a certain movie and then my student gave some comments of his own. It was like a friendly banter, nothing very serious. But, you know, and then the student DM'd me that screenshot and said, and he had written in the GMAT language. The basic assumption in his idea is this, which is flawed because there is no evidence for this. <laughs> that was very interesting for me to watch. I still have that screenshot with me. So, yeah. <laughs> So it just, you know, I really feel that, you know, GMAT as an exam really, really tunes you to for a management program. Great. Totally get it. If you had to give a GMAT themed TED talk, what would the title of your talk be and what would you discuss? Myths regarding GMAT. I think I would want to, the myths, myths okay, or misconceptions got it, got it. regarding GMAT. Right. The misconceptions of GMAT because there are just so many things going around. And you know, this I feel there's a lot of noise. Right. And let's say even for that matter, if you go to LinkedIn, let's say now imagine you are an aspiring candidate. Okay, you are an aspiring right. student. There's so much of noise on LinkedIn also. Everybody, including me, is giving their opinions. If somebody is saying do something, another person you don't do this instead, somebody do this instead. The poor student who is just starting from scratch is just lost. lost. That who exactly is correct and how exactly should I prepare? So I think if I have to give a TED talk on GMAT, I think I would like to 
uh, give my views on those misconceptions of GMAT and what I have actually seen. Got it. And here's a content idea for your next LinkedIn post or video, myths about GMAT. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm already working on it. Yeah, let's see when it comes out. <laughs> Great. A few more questions. If you had to pick a celebrity to take the GMAT, who would you choose? Mm, celebrity? Uh, maybe Shahid Kapoor because he's one of my favorite actors. Let's see how it fares on that. <laughs> Interesting. Great. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about the GMAT, what would it be? Uh, Even as a teacher. Have more fun with go it. Go have fun with it. Great. I think go and have fun with it. You know, you don't have to take so much stress. If you could train a fictional character for the GMAT, who would it be? Hmm. Train a fictional character. That's very interesting. Let me think. Um, maybe Tom Cruise? Maybe Ethan Hunt? Because we always see him in right, the right, right. doing stunts and everything. Let me see if I can make him sit down for a couple of hours and take some exam without jumping off a cliff or, you know, jump, having a helicopter inside. Very interesting. If you had to describe the GMAT as a movie, what movie would it be? Uh, Chakde India. Nice. Maybe. Okay, great. I'll tell you one answer I got. And uh, I was like wondering why. Chakde India, I can get it, right? This is one person, he said Bool Bulaya. And I've not seen Bool Bulaya. I know that Bool Bulaya is a remake of uh, South Indian movies and I've seen the Tamil version of it. And then I asked him why. He said, there's no ghost. <laughs> yeah, but if you see the movie carefully, there is kind of a ghost who comes in that uh, woman. There's some soul and something and then she gets exorcised and everything. Yeah, he was like, you know, it's about realizing, look, there's no real ghost at some point, you know, yeah. like um, yeah. he was telling a lot of... Yeah, the woman has a mental issue. Yeah. yeah, so he was like, GMAT is no ghost, it's in your mind. So don't look at GMAT as something that is, you know... Yeah, but that answer you could have never got from me because I'm petrified of horror movies. <laughs> I saw Bhulpuraya one and it, it was so, well, it was a brilliant movie because it can really scare you. I have not had the guts to watch Bhulpuraya too. Right. And here's a final question, last question. If you had to create a GMAT-themed board game, what would it be called? A uh, board game? Mm, nothing much comes to my mind as such. Cool. You can probably think about it and give me an answer next time we talk. But uh, Mega, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time out. Um, I really appreciate all the things that you had to share. I'm sure the yeah. listeners will find a lot of things very useful and to take a lot away from this conversation. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you as well. And yeah, I hope that if ever we come to the part two of this after six months or one year, I do have some interesting things to share with you all again. So I hope, okay. And I need all the wishes from the listeners also that, you know, with Mega sees new heights. I'm sure you're going to get them, Mega. Great. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, 
sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.